0: Hello, before we get started, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Human Restoration Project's fantastic patrons. All of our work, which includes free resources, materials, and this podcast is available for free due to our Patreon supporters, three of whom are Ray O'Brien, Trevor Christian, and Connie Fletcher. Thank you for your ongoing support. You can learn more about the Human Restoration Project on our website, humanrestorationproject.org, or find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 19 of Things Fall Apart, our podcast, The Human Restoration Project. My name is Chris McNutt, and I'm a high school digital media instructor from Ohio. In this podcast, we are joined by Brooke Tobia, a 6th grade STEM educator at High Tech High Middle North County in San Marcos, California, with her two students, Olivia and Avery. Together, they've co-developed and written the book, How to Teach Us, A Guide for Teachers Written by Students. Working in a PBL environment, roughly 60 different 6th grade students, split between Brooke and her co-teacher, researched, wrote, and published this work, which is available via Amazon. Within, you'll find a ton of information gathered from interviews with students that explains how different students learn and how to effectively teach them. Um, let's just start off with a really basic question, which is what was the impetus behind writing this book? Like, where did it come from? Was it a student driven thing? Was it just an idea out of the blue? where did it come from?
1: Yeah. So, um, I got the privilege to go to South by Southwest, the conference last year, and was fortunate enough to sit in this meeting where we were talking about, we were not even talking about innovation in education. Instead, if we just scrapped that and we just talk about reinventing education, what would that look like? And what would it take for change to happen? And it was really clear to me that in order for change to occur, students really have to be behind it. And when students' voice is uh, present and they're talking about it and saying, these are the things that need to happen, educators really listen. They take the time, they stop they listen, they hear it. Um, and it's really hard to deny student voice. And so I you know, I really felt like there was a um, a lacking of that happening in our education system. And we have this opportunity to work on, in projects. And so my partner and I, um, I'm the math science teacher, and then my partner is a humanities teacher. We got together, we had um, breakfast one morning and we got to talk about what were all the things or the projects that we'd want to do that we would never be able to do or we really want our students to be able to take part in I said well I want them to be a part of the change that needs to happen in education and so that was kind of the thought like giving them a platform to have a voice on
0: of, of the students that you have with you Brooke um could you all introduce yourselves really quick on the podcast
2: um my name is Avery and the student like category that we my i was grouped in for this project was uh outgoing
0: okay that makes sense you signed up to come on the podcast <laughs>
3: um uh, my name is olivia and um, i identified with being an overthinker
0: so to add a point of clarification on the students uh, placing themselves into categories how to teach us to subdivided into different chapters each showcasing a different type of student so, for example, there's autistic, class clown, creative, fidgeter, independent, outgoing, overthinker, as well as a few others. And each section then, each chapter, has that student or that group of students describing what activities they enjoy in school and what activities they don't enjoy in school.
1: We had a discussion in class about how um, they, what characteristics they identified themselves with, understanding that it's not just one characteristic that I, they identify with, but there's many But if there was one that they were to choose that was the the largest that they identified with which one would it be and so then students created a list of like 20 different characteristics um, of how they identify themselves as and understanding that they represent the student population and then very similar to any school that they would go to the students who feel the same way and so based on that then they grouped themselves
0: it's a it's a really cool idea it's very unique and i'm interested about more about how the process worked um, Avery or Olivia, could you talk a little bit about like what you did, what you liked about what you did, uh, really anything about the project that you would like to share?
3: One thing that, uh, I really liked and that was, uh, really what we did. It really like, how do I say it? It's, um, it was really like our main point on getting all the data was we like went to other schools and we interviewed them. We were like at middle schools and high schools and we interviewed them and um, asked them what they would identify with and what like they just rated on these techniques that you would do in class.
2: I know the thing that I'm definitely really liked from this project was that it's kind of giving us more of a voice in the classroom And that's not something I know when we first started, like, whoa, this is something that I would not even think of doing last year or something new. And I just remember right at the beginning, Ms. Tobia asking us, okay, what do you want the teachers to know? And then that just like just pushed us off and we just like kept rolling on it. And it was just a really cool project.
0: And that's that's really interesting to note, too, because for those of us that don't have a background with like how high tech high is structured, is sixth grade then the first grade that students are introduced to this project-based system?
1: No, uh, we have a K through 12 system here. And so half of our students, did either one of you go to high tech last year though? No. no. Either one of these groups went to high tech last year. Uh, but so we have a, about, it's a 50-50 split um, of like students who are from high tech and students who are coming from just local community.
0: Gotcha. So then my follow-up would be, uh, Avery and Olivia, based off what you've learned from this project, now that you're transferring to a school that uh, maybe is a little bit more focused on student voice um, than some others, why do you think it's important that teachers listen to you? Like, why does it matter in the first place?
3: Well, I just want teachers, well, even just with this project specifically, one thing that really hit home with me is letting teachers know that this is how I learn best and this is how um, I would get, how I would be most successful I mean because the most uh, where the most or sorry the best way that you can find out what a person likes or how they would better be treated is through like from them so most teachers just assume oh um, my kid like this or oh when I was a kid I liked that but usually it's that's not the case so I just really liked it that I got to tell someone this is what I would like, and maybe you didn't know that, but this is something that would really help me in the classroom.
2: Yeah, and when teachers would recognize those patterns, like you're talking about that, like how worksheets is like a kind of wide, they don't, students don't like it, they can try to choose that, oh yeah, let's kind of steer away from doing worksheets and try to use some other technique to do that. And another thing that I know that a lot of people didn't like was, um, calling on random students. So we've been like trying to, in our classroom, I've noticed that we've been trying to not call on people randomly anymore. Like every we're like, we know that we're going to be asked questions. So it's not just like, whoa, I'm really nervous.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting to note too, that I, I like the fact that this whole process treats you all as individuals. I think sometimes we tend to marginalize or push out people because we see them as younger and it's like, why would we listen to them? Um, because I don't want to like make you sound like super young, but you are in sixth grade. It's amazing really what all we can do. I mean, there are seniors that do this kind of stuff that maybe don't even have the opportunity in school to do so. Um, so it's just really interesting to have this conversation and just realize that you know everyone has something that they have to share. Um, and it's usually very well put because you're the ones going through it. Brooke, shifting over to you for a second, when you were going about planning this and making this all come together, and you know someone listening to this podcast that really likes the idea, they see you publishing this book. Like, how? Where did you even start? Like, what was what was the the starting like idea point to make this all come together?
1: Um, there's a couple of different ways, and when we when you do a project, um, I think start with something that you're passionate about. And that you would really hope that by the end of the year what you would want your students to be able to do you know and so for us that was something that we thought was really important we would want students to make sure that they knew that they had a voice and before they left sixth grade we wanted them to feel like they can advocate for themselves they know how to advocate for themselves within their home life within their school life within just politics and get that going that conversation going and spreading the word um so that was for us, and so it starts with an idea and a passion. Um, but then also things to think about, like when you're planning a project, and then this one specifically was, what was the end result? Like, what do you want out of it? So sometimes it's a good thing to think about the product and how you would do that. Um, simultaneously, it's I think it's really helpful to make sure I think high quality product based learning is um, requires a, a tie to the community too, Who what is the authentic audience that you want to present to? Like, who are you helping? And in this case, it was educators. It was like, hey, we have educators all around that need to hear this. And so how can we get that word out there mostly? So this book is a really great way. And we're also super grateful that you're able to um, share our story here so we can have other people hear it as well. Um, so coming up with an end result, how, they, how the students can exhibit their learning, really. Um, and so just making like notes of those things. like. Who can you connect with in your community to help? Who, like, what is that end result that you would love to have? And making sure it's really authentic and helpful, not just a craft piece. You know, make sure it's really meaningful um, and relevant to the students. And then backwards planning is like the best way to go, um, in my opinion, where you just start with that end result, and then make sure that you backwards plan, including like constant reflection. Like we talked a lot about how we felt about the process and how we were and making sure we weren't boxing ourselves in and conversation. and um, This product brought forth a lot of interesting things for sure in our classroom. And um, and then just backwards planning from there and making sure that we have enough time for
3: all of it.
0: Sure. So from a day-to-day standpoint, if I were to walk into the room uh, and students were working on crafting this book, what types of things were students doing?
2: Like. There's
1: many days where a lot of things are going on. Uh,
2: yeah. So we definitely, so I think what we started by doing was, the first thing we started doing was um craft crafting our um empathy pieces, which you'll find at the beginning of each chapter for each characteristic. And so we got together as a group, like, for each characteristic, and we just talked about, that question again what do we want teachers to know about us so like and we got to put a lot of our personality into them not just like an essay but it's actually like we're talking to those teachers like hey we're outgoing students this is what we want to tell you Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm.
3: um and when we were creating The book there was so much stuff going on not even just the book like we also had like a website that kids were doing Um, and there was like just so much stuff that went into it that it was now that I look back on it it didn't seem like a bunch of stuff but when you were actually doing it it was it was a lot
1: yeah I know for me it was probably my most rewarding experience this year for sure and and and. A huge it's all on top of my list in my teaching career uh, My teaching partner and I just stepped back and there's 60 students in one time in this open space and we look around we're just standing back and Everyone is doing something and we have editors working on the editing of the chapters We have painters working on our exhibition piece for exhibition. We have um, People setting up the room for exhibition. There are so many moving pieces all around and what at first was um, difficult collaboration. Like they really, it was like a squeaky wheel getting them in the beginning of this project to collaborate together, Um, especially certain groups where, (laughs) for example, our independent group happened to be the largest group, which was really interesting. (laughs) But at the end of it, um, students really were able just to like work together and make pieces that they felt really uh,
2: represented them well. And i know another thing that this project definitely gave gave every like single student in our classroom like a time to shine whether it was like working on the chapters like designing your page or like some people like creating the cover of the book like that the cover is student created so like everybody worked on it like has a bit of them in the
0: book it's fascinating i i love this whole conversation because i mean This is probably the most authentic uh, representation. I mean, it's really cool. So from like the reflective nature of doing this work, Brooke, do you find yourself then changing how your own practice works, considering that you just spent an entire project gathering what students think? Like there's like a there's a meta part of this book that's really interesting, which is like you're teaching students student voice while you're self-receiving feedback for your students about student voice. So how has this changed the way that you look at your own classroom and how it works?
1: Yeah, um, I really, really appreciated those empathy pieces that they wrote and, and read them several times and listened to them. Um, and so just hearing that and just their perspective on how they see themselves was not how I saw them, to be honest. It was like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And so just giving the just recognizing and it's something that we know but recognizing like wow you just ask them and just give them space to be honest and um reflective like they will tell you and so for me that was really telling things like audrey said simple things like um don't call on them randomly it (laughs) frightens them it really frightens them and they don't feel like feel like it's the best to their benefit and so we had a conversation about that and i said well how can I do that because I'm trying to like see if you're on task you know like are you listening or are you just doodling Olivia is a big doodler right like Olivia are you still like paying attention and so instead of calling on them randomly like giving them a heads up like I'm going to come back and check on you in a little bit or um don't assign seats I know so many teachers have assigned seats in there and um I go back and forth with that concept but they really appreciate the autonomy, and they want to see if they can make that decision on their own. And every single student, like in our classroom, you guys, I, th- I would agree. Like, they said, "Let's try it, and if it's not working out, then I would love to have your feedback, Masovia, and see like if there's a better spot for me."
2: It was almost like, like, like almost like a contract kind of thing. Like, okay, we're gonna let you try this. But if you guys mess around, we're gonna go back to like strict seating. But I know that that just automatically made us like stay on task more. yeah, just like just,
1: like this is their this is their space too. Like how can we all just enjoy it? So those things really helped me. Um and then it was interesting from a teacher's perspective of how it was just a really the data show that it was just a really nice blend of the basic things in a classroom like super simple it says you know in our in the first couple pages of the book it says um to make sure that you have student choice included in the lesson plans that you have like just a couple choices um blend it with a computer work and collaboration and independence so make sure that you're like thinking about that so you know i go back to like my bitsa or my when i'm first becoming a teacher days and you're writing all these lesson plans I feel like I think about these things that the students are talking about more so than the other ways. It's like, how am I making sure that there's some independent think time in there? And how am I making sure that there is some collaboration time? And hands down, every every student really appreciated as a five star rating on daily agendas. They like to know what to expect for the day. So making sure I keep up with that and it's on task and um, up to date. And then they all love hand on learning which can be PBL, but it doesn't have to be PBL, but they just like having relevance to the things that they're learning. So I I take a lot of it in in my daily lesson planning for sure.
0: It it also makes a lot of sense in the sense that you're having students do the things that they enjoy while they're actually crafting the book itself, Um, as in the thing that they're writing that they enjoy doing is the thing that they're writing about in the book. Thank you for listening to the podcast so far. Are you interested in diving deeper into progressive education? If so, Human Restoration Project would love to serve as a platform to amplify your voice. We're seeking writers to help contribute to our magazine. You can reach me at chris, C-H-R-I-S, at humanrestorationproject.org to learn more. Now, back to our discussion. Let's, uh... Sort of not necessarily shift gears, um, but I'd like to hear more um, from Avery and Olivia surrounding their findings. Um, So there's a lot of stuff in this book. If I just kind of flip through it, it's almost overwhelming uh, because there's like a lot of different things I have to compare and contrast. And um, there's no silver bullet in education, there's a lot of different things going on. Based off of uh, what you researched and who you interviewed, Avery and Olivia, um what were some takeaway points beyond what we've already spoken about or like what were things that stood out that you felt were super important that you would want educators to know
3: So um I actually wrote the summary of findings in the beginning of the book so like I kind of did like a little bit on just a little bit of a summary but um I mean like you said it is kind of overwhelming once you see it um. So but something that I found was that was pretty cool is that like a shy student, but also an outgoing student kind of had this same uh, idea or the same opinion on totally on like the same thing, which was kind of cool to me because, you know, like you're shy and then here's a person that like isn't and it's like, oh, they're they they have like the same opinion on something that's I mean, <laughs> I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. Um. But even if a teacher, I mean, I can see how teachers can find it um, a little overwhelming if they are trying to use it in the classroom. Um, so if they want to, I, I would just, I mean, it would be even cool to ask their students in the beginning of the year or sometime to just ask them, hey, um, how do you want to learn? How do you want to, uh, how do you want this year to go and how do you find that? you will learn best um
2: so when we were doing the uh data collection going to the different schools for um, the interviews um we asked we had this packet of questions that we did and it was like this it was like how do you rate as a shy student how do you rate yeah you school? like asked you asked them what what kind of characteristic they were. Then you ask questions for them, but like making sure you put emphasis on as this student, how would you answer, what would you put as this question rather than just them. So we can kind of narrow it down to more of that group rather than a bunch of different students. And then we actually have a uh, little,
1: oh. That's the same interview. So we actually added that interview into the back of the book. So if teachers did want to give that to um, their students and ask the same kind of questions like Olivia was talking about, they can just go to that bit.ly that's there and it's like bit.ly how to teach us or something. Yeah. And then they can give that same um, survey to their students and kind of collect the data for themselves too. hmm But how would you suggest, Avery, like teachers use this?
2: So I think that it shouldn't, like, so they could use it as like, Oh, I'm having trouble with this shy student in my class. Let's look at the the pages about them. Sure, but I think another main point they should use the book for should be, like, when they're doing lesson planning. Like, before they even get to those lessons, if they've, like, given their students that interview, they can just see that, like, before they start the lesson, which... What should I do to make sure the majority of the students in my class are successful with, the, with this project or assignment?
0: Yeah, you sound like an education professor. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Even though there isn't one way to meet every student's uh, needs uh, that kind of has to be differentiated uh, amongst different students, how do you feel like PBL or experiential learning helps foster an environment that fits as many needs as it possibly can. Um, As in how does like separating different roles, having all this different stuff going on, allow for all of these different students to learn effectively?
1: That's one of my favorite things about PBL. Yeah, it's just one of the ways, like you said, right? That we can reach students. Um, But I really take the opportunity that projects give us to let students shine in how they want to shine. And so I look at it more as an opportunity to support the whole child you know, in learning versus just like, this is the one thing that we're gonna be learning through this project. It's kind of like, it opens up perspective. It opens up um, possibilities to see things in different ways for all of us. And so um, it gives, you know, especially if students feel the freedom and the respect and the safety to feel like they can express themselves in a project and there's not necessarily a right or wrong way, It it really opens the door for a lot of students to be successful and to shine, you know, their genius, really. It's like we have a student, you know, specifically Avery was mentioning about who did the the cover of the book, and she's very much into design and digital design. And so what a great way for her to, she kind of led up the design department for the book and said, okay, this is the direction I think we should go, and and she owned it. And um, it was really wonderful to see her shine in that
0: I feel like people that are listening to this are probably going to want to know like a lot of like nuts and bolts questions, even though they might not replicate the exact same project. I feel like just kind of knowing how everything is set up with just like simple like data helps a lot. So like, for example, how much time was spent on it? How long are students working on it? does uh, like the schedule look like for it? How does all that kind of stuff work? So
1: starting off with like planning the project, give yourself like, um, you know about two to three hours really and like dedicated time to plan a project and that's like what do we want our essential question to be what would the end product be and like get that skeleton and you can find a lot of that project planning templates everywhere i know high tech high has them on their websites too but they're everywhere um and then from there um this was a nine week project and so we um you know, launched several times in different ways. So starting off the project, it was a day launch, you know, of going to a school and interviewing um, and talking about that. Um, and then collecting the data, we did that for about four weeks, or maybe even five.
2: And yeah, it seems like a really long time. Yeah. But then once after, it was like, what, what, we're done? So that would include,
1: we had parent drivers help us out. And so, um, we would go to schools and students would interview we interviewed about over 700 students for this book in san diego and so that would include asking questions from one class and then then those classes leaving and then another class coming in and fitting in as many classes as we can in a period of time <laughs> when we come back that's when we, we would reflect with the students and then the students would um we, we should see it we have huge chart paper all over our classroom <laughs> yeah and so like the. Outgoing students would then correlate and like put all of their data on this chart paper. So they would organize the papers all together and say, oh, this is an outgoing student. This is a shy student, whatever. And then they would put all the data on this chart paper. And that would be this like living document that would change. And every time we went on a field trip, we'd come back and reflect with that document and add to it. And then from there, um, you know, the students are reading Oh, in the beginning of teacher interviews. Yeah. Um but we would then, from there, um, do some writing and reflecting also in the humanities part. Um, that and I, like, a day or two, but then once they got their information, um, students peer edited several times, right? Yeah. Four chapters. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of ed- editing and revisions were made. Um, and then we took about, I would say, two and a half to three weeks preparing for our exhibition which is still going. We had several exhibitions. We had one exhibition that was actually we gave the professional, they gave the professional development um, for our staff. And then um, they did one for their parents uh, who came. And then they have one coming up this Saturday um, at an actual teaching conference, design camp. So they'll be presenting there.
0: It doesn't get more real than that. Um, and I'm sure the, the field trips are ultra engaging, just the ability to move around and leave, like anytime you leave the building, it's automatically exciting, no matter what you're doing. There's um, so, of, like, uh, I'm sure like, that's, I mean, like, down down that's a really lot of like, there's nothing um, to do. Like I never then, in this we, project had yeah, to,
1: um, get students to like work on the set that they had to work on. It's just cause it was about them and everyone's. Was- working at their own pace. We were
2: always, like, laughing and stuff, but we still got a lot done. Like, it was surprising that we had so much fun, but still, we made a book!
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the point that you made that I agree that, like, none of us really stopped and didn't have something to do. I, I think it was partly because a bunch of us, we were passionate about it. Like, we wanted to tell teachers, this is how I learned, this is how, like, I want to see school. Cause you shouldn't like see school as like a burden or something like this will help make school more enjoyable for kids so uh, yeah including me like we were just passionate about it and it really helped make out our better product so that was cool I think also knowing that you're gonna
1: be talking to teachers and presenting to that audience like this is real like your your voice matters and uh, both um, guy my teaching partner and I would reinforce that idea all the time and say like this is your chance like, what do you want to say? Like, you're giving an opportunity right now, so really make the most of it.
2: Yeah, make the, make the most of the opportunity. Yeah. You might, like, if you don't go to this school next year, you're not going to, you're never going to get that chance again. Yeah.
0: This might be a, a really bad follow-up question, but I, I have to know, this is something I've, I've always struggled with doing PBL in my own classes and many people that I work with, which is, were there any students that didn't buy in? Like, what... What strategies do you use to ensure that, you know, if there's one or two or three students that are just like, I, I don't like doing this specific thing, or, you know, it's just difficult for me to manage my time in a PBL environment, stuff like that. Did you run into, into any challenges that had to be solved?
1: This is weird, because I've done a lot of projects, and that always happens, always. with me like, There's always a couple students, right, that I have to figure out another way to reach them. This one, I honestly can't say that there was. Um... There were definitely students who worked at their, a slower pace you know i mean we had a slow characteristic slow worker group and we have a chapter on that right and they were like dystopia i mean what do you expect you know <laughs> but um it was more just um i never had a students here i don't know if you guys heard like say i didn't care about this or like they didn't want to work on it um
2: but- I, the only time that anyone ever said that was like a joke like they were Like there were some hard times, like sometimes, like when we were interviewing the people, like who were interviewing, I know one of the interviews I did, um, like the person that my partner was actually friends with the person when we were doing it here. So we didn't do any actual interviewing that day. And I know one part, one day I was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do another interview we have (laughs) talked to people all day and i need to stop that day that was a really hard that was a really hard yeah so i think
3: talking about did you want to say um i was just gonna agree with avery that um on the interview part i definitely at one point was like just in the beginning i was like oh we're actually interviewing people and i would be i mean it's kind of different when you're with someone your age because you're like oh um (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, I mean, we're middle schoolers, we're socially awkward, so uh, yeah, I was like, I didn't really want to do it, but then, like just seeing what the uh, outcome would be, it just helped. yeah,
1: yeah, and so I think that perseverance piece, like breaking it up too, um helped a little bit. so we would you know only have project time maybe twice a week, you know, and get interested in other things too, and then come back to it because we would have project time. the second half of the day on periods four and five for us and so that was i think spacing it out probably helped a little bit there and then also if we saw a student who was moving like really quick you know and wanted some other work and was ready for some more stuff we like there's so much to do and um just really making sure that this is 100 percent the student's work and not something that we thought how it should be and so i mean the layout like every single every single thing in here was it was a student, so
0: they had a lot of work to do. So I have one more nuts and bolts style question, um, and then I'll just kind of hear anything else um, that you would like to share. And that would be, um, logistically, how did you actually design and publish the book? Like, what were the the, the software, the the publishing service? How did you go about doing all that?
2: Um, okay, well, I'm going yeah. to head that on to
1: Avery
0: because she was actually the
2: one who did it. Oh, cool. So we um, used the Amazon Publishing publishing service Kindle Direct Publishing. And that was it was such like an easy format. And it was just like it was all you had to do was like you had to I know I had to like convert a couple of the files of stuff. Like we had to use a certain software to create the cover in order to have it be able to um, upload it to the um, page. And then So we did, we had one running document, right? One giant document, like on Google, that was just, people were always continually adding to it. Mm -hmm. So it was like the glitchiest document in the whole entire world. There's 60 students, more than that, working on it. Mm -hmm. And then... Saved that as a PDF. Yeah.
1: And then the cover was done by Canva.
2: Yeah, on the service Canva, which is just a lot of, like, just digital arts. I know a a lot of students in our class love just playing around with it. Like, we do everything on Canva, pretty much.
0: Thank you again for listening to Things Fall Apart from the Human Restoration Project. I hope this conversation leaves you inspired and ready to push the progressive envelope of education. You can learn more about progressive education, support our cause, and stay tuned to this podcast and other updates on our website at humanrestorationproject.org.